The stories we tell communicate who we are and what we value. Each episode, we consider a different story from our perspective as women. From murder ballads to fairy tales, we discuss the power these stories have over us all. This is our history, both real and imagined, told through the eyes of today. This is Femlore. Hey, man. Hi. How's it going, Rach? Oh, it's going. Um, I am really excited about our story today because it seems really problematic, but kind of amazing. So yeah. I can't wait for you to tell it to me because I already know what it is. I'm really excited, too. Well, let's just jump right in. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to say the title of it. <laughs> <laughs> Before you do that, do you want to do you want to say the nonprofit? Maybe start there, so and funny. then I'll try to. All of a sudden, I was like, uh. <laughs> "You're like words." Ah. Well, and this one has a lot of uh, it's 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 uh, Scandinavian, so it's yes. got some some interesting words. It but. does. I love it. It's a beautiful language. So yeah, this week we have a great story for you. Super excited about this episode. Um, and we are giving, as we always do each episode, we tie to a nonprofit. This week, we are giving to Planned Parenthood. Ooh, um, love me some Planned yes, Parenthood. Yes, love Planned Parenthood. Yes. Um, they deliver vital reproductive health care, sex education, and information to millions of people worldwide. Um, great organization. We're really happy that they're around and want to support them. So... Yeah. So yeah, we'll be making a donation and we hope you, everyone does too. Definitely. Um, well, this story, um, the Thrymes. Oh, you can just call it the Lay of Thrym, I think is good. Okay, yeah. perfect. Mm -hmm. We can maybe cut the Aaron or maybe it's funny for our <laughs> listeners to hear, <laughs> to hear what Mindy just trying to, to say. say. I mean, there's a lot of consonants <laughs> together in your defense. There's a lot of consonants. Um, anyways, think, it is it the good. Lay of Thrym from the poetic Etta. Poetic Edda? Edda. The Lay of Thrym from the Poetic Edda. Cool. I'm excited. One morning, Thor awoke to find his beloved hammer missing. He searched and searched, but could not find it anywhere. Without his hammer, Asgard would be vulnerable to attack by giants. At a loss, he sought out Freya. As he knew, Freya had special falcon feathers, which could change a god into a falcon to search for his hammer. Once he got the feather, he asked Loki to go and search for his hammer. Loki quickly shifted into a falcon and flew off to search for Thor's hammer. On a hunch, he went to the kingdom of the giants, thinking that most likely the hammer had been stolen. Once in the kingdom of the giants, he demanded to meet with their king, Thrym. Thrym was not shy about what he had done. With a smirk, he remarked, It was I that stole your hammer, and I have buried it eight miles underground. I will not give it back until you promise me Freya's hand in marriage. Loki, seeing that there was no way to get the hammer himself, made his way back to Asgard to relay the news to the gods. Upon hearing the update, the gods were anxious, and Freya was especially angry. After some consultation, Loki came up with an idea. If Thrym wants to marry Freya, we should give him Freya. Freya's eyes became small as darts, and she was ready to release her ire on Loki, but Loki raised up his hand to stop her. We give him a Freya, he remarked. All the gods were confused. Loki went on. Thor, why don't you dress up as Freya and retrieve the hammer yourself? That way, you can get vengeance and Asgard would be saved. Thor shook his head. It is an unmanly thing to do. Surely everyone will laugh at me if I do such a thing. 
The manly thing to do, countered Loki, would be to save Asgard. Thor sat for a moment, then nodded. You're right, Asgard is most important. No expense spared, no delicate fabric overlooked on Thor's bridal garb. It was made of the finest materials, and once the god was all dressed, Loki offered to tag along as his maidservant. With that, the two gods climbed into Thor's goat-drawn chariot and made their way to the kingdom of the giants. On their arrival, they were greeted by Thyme himself, who boasted, Aha! Finally! The gods give me what is rightfully mine. Next, the group made their way to the banquet hall, where a wedding dinner was to be held. Next, the group made their way to the banquet hall, where a wedding dinner was to be held. But this posed a huge problem for Loki, as Thor, unwilling to hide his appetite, ate an entire ox, ate salmon, and all the food originally meant for Freya. And the mead. Thor drank so many barrels that Thrym became suspicious. He leaned over to Loki and said, Your lady sure does eat well. I have never seen a woman's appetite quite so large. Loki quickly said, Oh, my lord, she has been so lovesick for you that she has refused to eat for the past seven days. Thrime, on hearing this, was struck with a wish to kiss Freya and show his appreciation. As he lifted the bridal veil, he saw Thor's piercing eyes staring back at him. My, what piercing eyes your lady has, maiden. Loki, again, thinking quickly, said, She has been unable to sleep as well, my lord, so deep in her love for you. Thrime was satisfied with the answer and was ready to get the ceremony started. He then called for Thor's hammer. After all, a deal was a deal. Once the hammer was laid in Thor's lap, he stripped off his veil and slew Thrime. Then, all of the wedding guests, women and children included. Loki and Thor returned to Asgard, the hammer safe again. All right. Well, we're so excited. We have an amazing guest with us today. Um, Shu, do you want to take it away and introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, my name is Shu Matsuo Post, and I am the author of uh, my first book called I Took Her Name, Lessons from My Journey into Vulnerability, Authenticity, and Feminism. So I took my wife's name when uh, we got married over three years ago, and I experienced gender bias during the process. So th- this really opened my eyes about the topic of gender equality and feminism. And I started to do um, more research on what gender, what other gender bias we might see in everyday life. And what I found was pretty astounding. Um, I think a lot of women have seen that already and have been talking about it. But as a man, I actually really didn't know. I'm Japanese, but I wrote this book in English so that um, I'm hoping that uh, men, especially men around the world, can uh, can see can hear my story. Yeah. Well, we're so glad that you did. We're really excited about your book. And, you know, we really appreciate your vulnerability, too. I mean, I think even for me, it's like, sure, this is something that women have been talking about. Probably, you know, we experience it and we see it and encounter it earlier than what men do, to your point. But it's a journey for everyone. And we just appreciate that you're entered in this journey. You're, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a part of it. You're a part of the good fight and helping to break down these um, gender norms. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and honesty in that. And I do want to ask, so it's interesting, you said you wrote the book kind of going through that. So I feel like you learned a lot going through the process of taking your wife's 
last name. But so I'm curious, I mean, obviously you must have already had some feminist tendencies going into that because taking your wife's last name is not it's something not very, that like yeah. everybody does. So um kind of just curious, like what made you choose that decision? Yes. So my wife and I had been dating for about three years before we got married. And uh, when we met, um, we, we were dating. And at the time, you know, I think that when I was kind of playing my quote unquote traditional mas- uh, masculine role in society, I was, uh, you know, I read so many dating books for men and I just kind of followed the script because I wasn't a popular guy in high school or even college. And I desperately wanted to be popular um, uh, with, with women. And so I read all those books, um, but I started to really connect into my deep self and I really craved that. And that's when I met her and she, she's a teacher and uh, she teaches actually um, gender equality to her students, uh, awesome. gender and <laughs> lang- language. Nice. Yeah. So that's her specialty. And okay. I remember when we went out um, on her birthday, that was her, her first birthday um, and celebrating together. And, um, you know, I took her out to a really nice restaurant. Uh, we were in Hong Kong at the time and in the heart of Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, I, w- I was trying to be shivery because I thought that's what I was supposed to do as a man, um, not not realizing like the why, deep why behind it. I think that's so interesting you mentioning about trying to be really chivalrous and not thinking necessarily about where it comes from, because I've had similar conversations with family members where I've been like, you know, sometimes it's actually really annoying when a man opens a door for me, because a lot of times like in this old apartment building that I used to live in, there was a lot, it was a very wide range of people who lived there. And there was this old man that would always open the door for me. And it really annoyed me because he would always be like, smile beautiful as he did it. And so it was so like, it wasn't like he was opening it for me just as he would for anybody else going. He was opening it for me because I was a woman. He had expectations of who and what I should be because I was a woman. And so like everything wrapped together, I would I had this conversation and would try to explain it to other people because I'm like, there's just something about it. Like it's not, it's not helpful. It's not nice. It actually feels like it's putting me in a different place and a disadvantage as a woman. So I love you bringing that up. I love, you know, the journey and growth that it sounds like you and your wife have been able to have together, which I think is so important in a relationship. And as we're talking about marriage, (laughs) I think this is a perfect segue back to our story as well, because um, we were so excited to talk about Thor with you, because I know, you know, your studies and your journey looking at toxic masculinity, I think we see a lot of that Mm -hmm. within Thor, even the point where, you know, um, in this story, he's asked to basically save his city and save his people. But to do so, he has to dress up as a woman. And, you know, he has a hard time with that decision. But it's actually his brother who basically says, like, you know, the most manly thing you could do is protect our people and our village. So put the damn dress on. But I just thought that was so interesting, too, that it it was kind of met with such resistance because Thor could not put a dress on, you know? 
Yeah, and I, I wonder what you thought of this story, Shu, if it, if it kind of spoke to you in that way about masculinity and the dangers of, of masculinity in that in that way. I wonder what you thought about that, um, not the cross-dressing as well, but about the whole story. What did you think about about this, uh, the lay of Thrime? Yeah, totally. I thought it was very interesting. And, you know, Thor is a god of thunder. And, you know, when you think about thunder, it's like loud, powerful, and all-consuming. And, uh, you know, he has the, the hammer, uh, which he's kind of depended on, like that re- really represents his masculine power. And obviously when his hammer is gone, he feels lost and he's, he really wants that back. And, you know, going back to your point, um, you know, he was very reluctant to dress as, a, as Freya, as a woman, uh, because, you know, I wonder if he felt it was degrading for Thor for such a man, you know, quote unquote, masculine, manly man to, to be that way. Um, and uh, Loki, his brother, is the opposite, right? Like he doesn't have the, the very muscular body or the physique or presence, uh, but he was, he was the one that convinced him to, um, hey, dress, dress up as a woman and go get your hammer yourself. Um, so that, you know, he, he was able to kind of let go of his ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going back, kind of, I was thinking about the, the Hollywood movie of Thor as well. The first In the first movie, um, I, I remember he loses his hammer or he, I think his father takes uh, away his hammer and he can't get it back uh, because he's so, you know, still like very violent and somewhat arrogant. Um, but at the end, he ends up, getting it back uh, when he kind of lets, lets go his, of his ego. Mm-hmm. He goes to Loki and tells him like, hey, please don't kill these innocent people on Earth. Um, if you're going to do that, why don't you take my life away? And that's when he gets the hammer back. So kind of like, it's, I think it's a great um, irony that when he lets go of that traditional masculine quality of dominance and you know power, he actually gets the true power back. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, that point about the hammer is so spot on. You know, a lot of the analysis I was reading on this story, um, it was postulating the hammer um, and the separation of the hammer as um, as like a symbolic castration, right? So he loses his masculinity in a very real way. And this is seen through a lot of folklore, right? Where the tool is a symbol of the masculinity. Um, and so that's, I, I think the hammer really serves that purpose here. Once he loses it, he has to be a, f- a female. Um, and then on that point, you know, it gets kind of hairy because I don't know if we're supposed to think the cross-dressing, the Thor, because the, Thor's really bad at being a woman. Like he's yeah. terrible. <laughs> if, I don't know, that, uh, Shu, if you saw any images of this, but like this, one of the pictures is like him in a wedding veil with like a full on beard. Like he's just terrible at this, and I, my my initial thought was, oh well, um, you know, this is this is a good story. It's about letting go. It's about being, you know, being willing to to um, you know change your change your gender, change your I guess not gender, but change your um, your the way that you are and challenge norms. But thinking about it more and reading more of the analysis, he's not good at it, and I think that's supposed to reinforce his masculinity. Um, and I think that's an interesting thought, right? Like, he's so bad at it. Like, if Thrym wasn't so dumb and Loki wasn't so smart, then this wouldn't have worked, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> everything about him, like, he's eating an ox. Like, he's not... Right, he's not even actually, like, committed 
no. to it. He's no. like, fine, I'll put on the dress. I'll put on a dress, but that's that it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's still got like the, you know. But I think even that in itself, as we're talking about it, it's kind of making me think like, yeah, these are just because there are so many gender norms within that. We're saying that like, you know, society looks at it that to be a woman and be perceived of a woman, there's extra things he should have that's a good point. done. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, hey, if I was maybe really hungry, funny. maybe I could eat a whole <laughs> ox. Like, you know, but it's the assumption that women don't do that that's because women are small. Mm-hmm. Women don't eat, you know, like mm-hmm. all of these things. And um, yeah, I just love that part. And I think, um, you know, it's so interesting because there's different celebrities now that we see. I remember Harry Styles was on the cover of Vogue as the first solo man on the cover of Vogue and he's wearing a dress. And it's not because he, like, I don't know his choice in wearing it, but he is not necessarily hiding or changing what he looks like. And I love the fluidity of, like, wear what you want. I mean, it's obviously a different case that I'm talking about. I just, I thought that was really cool. So I wanted to like bring it up in here. Um, But I think to your point, yeah, it's like he is trying to wear the dress to be deceiving, not because it's just something like he wants to wear. Mm -hmm. And so there's no like additional actions. But again, thinking that there should be additional actions is making me realize how much we assume that by wearing a dress, you're female, which means that other things have to come with it yeah you know great point yeah yeah totally any thoughts on your end about all this shoe yeah absolutely and you know i i was uh thinking about who said it i think it was jessica valenti a feminist writer Um, i was reading one of her books and you know she said something like being a woman is the ultimate insult uh in today's patriarch Mm. patriarchy because the worst possible thing you can call a woman is like, you know, slut, whore, bitch, and, you know, the C word. And the, for, uh, to the worst possible thing you can call a man is pretty similar to like girl, bitch, and, you know, don't be a pussy and, you know, all those things. And if you really think about it, the worst thing you can call a girl, a woman is a woman and worst thing you can call a man is a woman as well. Wow. Um, so I kind of, thought about it you know as I was reading uh, the Thor's I was as I was hearing the Thor's story and uh, you know it was humiliating for Thor to dress or to be seen as a woman right mm-hmm. obviously and uh, you know like we just talked about he couldn't let go of that right um, so would you do that or would you you know get your hammer back and save your planet um, to me that, that's an easy easy option um but i think it's uh that them um represents uh the patriarchy totally uh, and i think yeah yeah, to your point too then it's like as soon as he does get the hammer back then he has to show his like uber masculinity by killing everyone even the women and children Mm -hmm. and i just thought like you know that took it to an extreme too. I mean, obviously, it sounds like they didn't have a great relationship with the giants, but did you, did you know have that to Thor, kill all of them? Thor is three quarters giant, which is very weird oh. in the mythology. He hates them, but he's a lot of him is them. So it's very, it's a very weird, <laughs> wow, weird kind of relationship with and the giants. What a like weird relationship for our current world. I feel like I, I, there's just something about that. Like we're all connected as human, but the way that we can still hate other humans when we are humans. And I just, I I don't know. 
Yeah. When hearing you say that really made me think about that. It's a like sad, messed up truth, you know? Well, yeah. And I think too, I mean, to your point about that masculinity piece of that, I mean, um, I think Chu made an excellent point as well. You know, he let go of the hammer and then he became feminine, which again, feels lesser, um, right? And that's that's like, eh, like it, on the surface, I feel like this story is really impressive. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Like it's gender fluid and there's no, and then you kind of dig in and you're like, nope, there's still a problem mm-hmm. here. And you start kind of like taking away but the wallpaper. you wall see that paper. to Shu's point, like that's the insult, yep. him mm-hmm. having to wear it because the insult is like him being a woman. I would say though, yes. And I would say the one bright spot is that Loki is like, who cares? Like, right. <laughs> Loki's like, let's just do this thing. Like, yeah. I don't know why you're worried. But I do think also there's a, there's a piece of that as being a, like being a woman is non-threatening. And you see that in Little Red, well, the opposite kind of in Little Red Riding Hood, right? Because the wolf dresses up as a uh, old grandmother, you know, you see this like, um, this idea of women being non-threatening. Now, Freya is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, like, if I was Thrym, I probably wouldn't, you know, like, mess with that. You know what I mean? Like, she's very scary as a god. Like, she's very powerful. Um, so it's interesting that he he is seen as not threatening as soon as he puts on a dress again. And when he's representing her, even though, yeah, to your point, she's powerful too. But, yeah, but she's a woman, right. so she can't be that powerful. Right, I think exactly. that's like the assumption. Yeah, yeah. And she I, doesn't have a hammer. Right, exactly. Which, what <laughs> I are we roll, talking about is I the roll, hammer we here. All know, yeah. right? she, we all know what that means. Right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's very interesting. And, and I wonder, Shu, if you have any thoughts on that, on like um, this idea of of kind of degrading yourself and, and also being seen as less threatening, right? As a woman, um, inherently less threatening. Yeah, that, I wonder, you know, um, kind of going back to the, the patriarch, patriarchal model of, I've seen this pyramid of patriarchy. So like at the top, there's like men and at the bottom, there's women. And uh, you know, I think society has done a better job to empower women and girls to, to act more independent or have the traditional quote unquote masculine qualities, uh, such as being more independent, strong, and, you know, all that. Uh, we encourage girls and women to do that, but not the other way around. And I think it's because of the patriarchy. Um, it's degrading to uh, demonstrate feminine qualities for men still. And that's why when men are expressing themselves emotionally or, um, or seeing as a woman, uh, that's, that's seen as degrading, which is pretty sad. So I think, you know, we, we definitely need to dismantle that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's super important for men to, to be able to explore the other side of the gender spectrum and society shouldn't care about that. Right. So that there is more freedom for both men and women. Yeah. No, I hear you in that. And I think like we're lucky because in my bubble, in my realm, I see that I see that girls are being taught these other things. But I also know that does not happen everywhere. And but to your point, especially in the places where girls aren't being empowered, men definitely aren't being empowered to, you know, explore their feminine side and stuff. And it kind of just... I think one thing though, and I think Shu, you were kind of you were kind of getting you were getting at this. What do we see as strength, right? Um, and you know, a femininity or a traditional feminine feminine qualities. 
um, that's not strength, right? Um, when actually, when you, when you, you know, the patriarchy forces this idea of strength, right? Mm-hmm. But I actually think, um, and I think this is what your book is getting at too, Shu, so you can <laughs> jump in if you, if this isn't right, but, you know, it's getting at this idea of strength. Like what, being strong is being vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. That is being, that is strength. Um, and that's traditionally feminine, I would say, but I still think that that's also a lot of crock. Um, you know, it's, it's something like questioning this idea of strength. And, right, that it doesn't have to be like muscles right. and demand and like, yeah, overtaking things. I, right. You know, there- Or I, it has to do with a hammer, right? Right. Right, Thor? Put that down. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, the strength in vulnerability, the strength in softness, the strength in like kindness, like those are really hard, especially, you know, sometimes all that I want to do is be angry at somebody who just doesn't get it. But to step back and try to find a way to look at like the systems that have made them think that way and to try to find softness to like allow, you know, to try to help that person learn and grow. That's a lot harder than just being like, you're an idiot. How do you not get it? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But yeah, back to um, you, Shu, because I know, I mean, you wrote a whole book on this. So yeah. I'd love We'd to love hear to your hear. thoughts. Yeah, I completely agree. I think vulnerability is a strength. Um because when you show vulnerability, you're showing, exposing yourself emotionally um, and mentally. And that takes a lot of courage. And to me, courage, being courageous is, is, a, is a sign of strength, right? When you're, when you're jumping off of a cliff, it, you feel scared. But when you do it anyway, you're kind of conquering your fear. You're, being, you're feeling vulnerable. Um, so, yeah, like I think traditionally speaking, uh, it's used to be, um, I think a lot of people still do um, consider vulnerability as a sign of weakness, but I definitely think it's a sign of strength. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, the, the real masculinity or like a, being a man is being kind. And just because you're kind to people, that doesn't mean you're a doormat. You know, you're kind, you're showing niceness, your kindness to, to people who deserve your kindness. And you can still say, no to things um, mm-hmm. and still be kind. So it's not about like acting tough or being stoic all the time, um, but showing kindness is, I think, also a sign of strength. Yeah, and, and to your point, because uh, people, I mean, we're so dynamic. We're not just one thing. And I think stories like this and those gender norms really serve to try to put people in boxes. I feel like that's as a, a culture in the world, like we really like to do that. We're like, no, this is where women go. This is where men go. And like, we struggle at just letting people be. But to your point, setting boundaries, saying no, those can be acts of kindness as well, because you have to be kind to yourself before you can be kind to others. Yeah, absolutely. And when I feel like, well, this is kind of myself personally speaking, um, you know, I used to be that, like, uh, I used to love Thor. I used to, I used to want to be Thor. Like, um, you know, we, I, I think the first movie came out in like 2010, 2011 or something like that. So in my mid twenties, I was like, wow, like I want to be like him. He's so muscular. He's so, so strong and, you know, cool. Um, like not showing emotion, kind of violent, but it's okay. You know, and he was perceived as like the super masculine character. Um, and I went to the gym. I lifted weights uh, because 
I wanted to look like someone, you know, someone like him. And, um, but I definitely was missing a deep connection with myself and people close to me actually, mm-hmm. uh, because I wouldn't open up. Um, and, uh, I went to alcohol, you know, I partied more than I, I want to admit. And, uh, I drank way more than I should, uh, back then because I wanted to numb my emotions. Whenever I felt scared or vulnerable, I would just go to alcohol, um, it was fun at the time, like momentarily, but mm-hmm. deep down I was missing like something uh, deep inside of me. So, and I, that's kind of going back to my uh, introduction. That's when I met my wife now um, and we started dating and she really helped me uncover uh, what's beneath that, uh, why I did those things and I, why I felt the need to um, act shivery, uh, just to women. Um, Mindy, going back to your point, and I think chivalry can be sexist if you're only being nice to one particular sex. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, you know, I think you should show kindness to anyone, regardless of their sex or mm-hmm. background. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, my journey, my vulnerable journey, uh, really helped me find my authenticity and. I found so much freedom in that when I, when I realized that I don't have to, a manhood doesn't have to be a certain way. That's when I really realized, wow, there is freedom yeah. in being, being a man as well. That's beautiful. So, and freedom in being who you actually want to be. You know, I think that's, yeah. that's so empowering. I, um, I recently, um, celebrated a birthday. Um, and so I turned 36. And I always share with people, because um, sometimes people, you know, you get older, and there's these stigmas, like, oh, my gosh, it's so scary. But when I look at my life, I feel so empowered. I mean, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully I get to live a whole other 36 years, right? Like my entire life over again. And when I think about that, I feel so empowered, because I truly have I probably have only been being my true, true self in these past, I don't know, five, six years. I kind of even like am ashamed and I hate to admit that. Like I still was me, but I was unlearning so many of these things that were like ingrained and indoctrinated in me by society, by the education system, by expectations of family and friends, and even, you know, the things that I put on myself. And so hearing your journey, Shu, it just, I really resonated with that because, yeah, I I had a similar experience. I feel like a lot of people probably do, a lot of our listeners probably do. And to think about how far I've come in these like five or six years and really finding myself, I'm like, holy shit, if I now get to actually be myself and do that for 36 more years like it it just feels like you know geez where like where can I go and maybe you know not like you always have to go somewhere just being happy and like accepting of myself is so freeing so I'm you know I always love hearing other people's journeys and I guess now I'm just kind of gushing and sharing my own but it's just like you know it's really empowering to your point shoe of finding yourself letting go of those gender norms that are placed on us by society and others. Mm -hmm. 
I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And happy belated birthday. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's very interesting in your journey, Shu, that you mentioned you were working out. Um, and this is something like, you know, obviously the patriarchy is very damaging to women. I, you know, that's obviously that's our that's our big headline here. But the other thing is, you know, it forces men to look a certain way and men that don't conform to that is it's really hard it's re- it's a really hard way of being because um then masculinity is this this box um that you have to you have to kind of fit in um and you know that's really sad yeah. uh, because it leaves out people who you know maybe don't fit in that box and that's totally fine like mm-hmm. maybe you are maybe you're a different kind of thor where you do want to wear dresses and have a beard that's totally great like why why are we judging any of that and mm-hmm. i i think um the patriarchy does force that um standard right uh, of like what is masculine on men as well so i mean it hurts it hurts everybody honestly it, when we put people in these boxes um and and i think that was a very it felt very um very real when you said that about you wanting to work out and and look a certain way uh to conform right um and that's you know working out should be for you if you want to do it then great if you don't then don't you know like i think um but but it's always um and you know i think a lot of women i've felt this way too um, you know, diet culture, and I know Mindy, yeah. you're you're uh, a great I know, I'm like anti. Yeah, I, I love like, it. Diet culture, I love diet. it. Um, because you know, women have to be small. Women have to be uh, tiny. They have to, um, you know. And I've done millions of diets throughout my life. Um, and I think, you know, starting to just recognize that you're lucky to have a moving body, and that right. you're lucky to to be able to, you know, be in this world and and be the size you are, whatever that is, right. um, is is empowering. And I I just felt very. Um, like angry at the patriarchy when you said that too, because I just, it's just not fair. It's just not right. right. And we, we tell all... women to be smaller and take up less space. Mm-hmm. We tell men to be bigger, bigger and, and spread their legs when they sit down. You can think of like man spreading. It's like, those are taught traits. And, you know, if we could all just have more freedom and, um, you know, so I, I actually wasn't planning on sharing this in this episode, but I think it's kind of the perfect segue. Um, and Shu, I know when we met before the recording, I, I shared with you, but I am actually expecting my first child. Um, so Yay. yeah, <laughs> my husband and I, thanks. Um, Wait, you didn't tell me. I'm just kidding. She told me, don't worry. She told me weeks ago, everybody, don't worry. But just as we're talking about all this, it's interesting because even before a child is born, the mm-hmm. expectations of people and this pressure starts. I am constantly being asked, and I know people mean well, so this is not directed at anybody. This is directed at society that has taught us that this is what we should do. But society has taught people to ask when someone is pregnant if they're finding out the gender. This is not the gender. This is the sex mm-hmm. of the child. Good point. And so I am constantly trying to push back and politely educate people. And I will say, we are actually not finding out the sex of our child. And some people are shocked. Some people I think are just like, okay. And then they don't know what to say because I've tried to correct them from asking if we're finding out the gender versus sex. But so where I'm going with all of this is it is our choice, my husband and I, to not find out the sex because we strongly feel that we don't want society and other people to already be determining who our child should and will be before it's even had a chance to come into this world. But all of this story has really, you know, obviously it's on my mind and that's how I'm connecting these dots here. But um, I hope that someday we can get to a better place 
where we give people that opportunity to figure out who they are, who they want to be, and just be happy and live, Mm -hmm. you know, without Mm -hmm. all those expectations. But yeah. (laughs) And you, you recently had a child too, right? Are you, is that, is that right? I I did. Yeah. And uh, Mindy, we did the exact same thing. We decided not to find out about the the sex of the baby until he was born. It's a son. We we had a son. Mm -hmm. We had no idea. And uh, the first, the first, uh, it's usually the first question that people ask. Yeah. Do you know the sex of the, the baby? And we're like, nope. And then they're just like, uh, okay, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't know what to say, uh, which is fine. But exactly the same reason uh, we decided not to find out until the birth. And we really enjoyed it. It was like really a surprise. And I got to call it um, when he came out. Nice. Um, yeah, that's the other part is I had yeah. a friend who shared with me like, we don't get to really have surprises in this world anymore with technology and we're so connected. So it kind of feels, you know, it's really cool to talk to you, Shu, and hear that you did the same thing because we're looking forward to that kind of surprise. I, I'm quite the planner and I am usually someone who is not surprised because I'm usually, I don't know, the one trying to surprise other people or do the planning myself. So it feels kind of nice to just say, yeah, I'm letting go of this control and, um, yeah. Well, anyways, well, congratulations to you and your wife yeah, and so your new baby. So um, we you. hope that you're all healthy and happy. And we just are so appreciative of you joining us today. And we really are just so thrilled about your book. I think it can help so many people. We need more people talking about these subjects, um, you know, whether it be in schools, around the dinner table, just between your friends, you know, giving each other space and acknowledging and appreciating vulnerability when it happens, um, you know, is just so important. Yeah. And, and um, we should just mention that you should definitely check out, Shu, your, your book comes out. Um, it's not, is it out yet? I, I was looking online. It's not out for a little bit, right? It's out on December 1st. December 1st. Yeah, so, it's going to be available on Amazon. Nice. So Great. then we will definitely link um, on our social media account. You should absolutely check out Shu's um, book. It seems like a great read. Um, we will certainly be picking up a copy, Shu. So yes, yes. <laughs> we'll definitely let you know um, how, how we like it. Uh, but it sounds like Thank such you. a great, great um, journey and, and really, really just a great, um, you know, thought of, of uh, patriarchy from, from a male perspective, which is different. And I'm really excited to check it out. So definitely encourage our listeners to check out Amazon on December 1st, and we will send you a reminder on our social media. So definitely. please check it out. Thank you so much, Stu, for taking the time to discuss Thor and his hammer. Thank you so much, Minnie and Rachel, for having me. Thank you. All right, great. Um, well, we will catch you on the Femlore Flip. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode, but you can always find us on Instagram at Femlore Podcast or visit us online at femlore.com. We love what we do, but we can't do it without you. Your listens, shares, and reviews keep us going, so please tell your friends about us. Femlore is produced by Mindy Scott, Rachel Marr, Aaron Crossland, and Lauren Crossland Marr. Audio engineering and music by Aaron Crossland, research and coordination by Lauren Crossland Marr, and as always, canine support provided by Andy and Cody. Ow!